0: Former television stars Eric Somebody and Deborah Something Else are looking to blacklist any Hollywood people who support Donald Trump. The stars of the TV show Will and Grace, which was apparently shorthand for Triumph of the Will and Disgrace. If you get that joke, you'll probably laugh yourself to death because you're already 92. Anyway, they, they called on any showbiz folks who attended a Trump fundraiser to be exposed so that they could refuse to work with them. Actress Deborah Messing said, quote, Hollywood is a town dedicated to diversity and tolerance, and anyone who disagrees should have their career destroyed. Will and Grace help change people's minds so that gay people would no longer be excluded by those who disagreed with them, but would instead be included among those who could exclude other people they disagree with. After all, when I support a candidate, I'm not afraid to go public and thus get more parts and media attention and awards. Why should Trump supporters be afraid to go public and be utterly crushed and vilified and harassed? Unquote. Eric McCormick, who played Will on the show, said, quote, I am so tolerant, I agreed to play a gay man on Will & Grace, even though I am not at all gay, and I'm in fact very masculine with a deep physical desire for women. But all the same, I made the decision to play a homosexual because that's just how open-minded I am as a supporter of gays, even though I'm far, far straighter than most men and totally pretended to be a gay person because I'm so tolerant and also needed the job, unquote. Deborah Messing herself has experience with leftist intolerance. She recently celebrated International Women's Day by baking cupcakes that were shaped like vaginas. This is a true story. She was vilified by social justice warriors for promoting the bizarre idea that women are people with vaginas. She was finally forced to apologize and was only able to avoid financial ruin because I bought so many of her cupcakes. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Life is tickety boo. Birds are ringing, also singing, hunky dunky doo. Ship shaped tipsy topsy, the world is zippity zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, Hooray, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. You know, one of the great advantages narrative has over truth is simplicity. There may have been a million causes of World War I, but if you can tell a story in which the war was all the fault of nationalism, you can begin the project of convincing Europeans to get rid of their patriotism and their sovereignty, because it's simple. The climate is a system far too complicated to accurately predict, but if you can convince people that bad weather is the fault of humanity, you might panic them into replacing their free enterprise system with top-down control. Again, it's just so simple. Clearly, there are a lot of reasons why young men commit mass murders, but if you focus on the guns, you might be able to disarm the populace. The New York Times, a former newspaper, has recently been pushing a narrative of such childish oversimplification that you'd think they'd be ashamed of themselves, but don't hold your breath. Their 1619 Project is dedicated to making readers believe that everything the Times dislikes—freedom, capitalism, democracy—was caused by something everyone dislikes, namely slavery, and therefore it's illegitimate. I would call this infantile, but that would be an insult to infants. What it really is, is the kind of dumbass racism you'd expect to hear from some toothless Klansman drinking in the back of a pool hall. I'll beat without the calls for violence. I'll give the Times that. But if you think this narrative's rank stupidity is going to make it go away, you're a cultural idiot or a conservative. But I repeat myself. The Times will make sure this incredibly simplistic and racist narrative comes complete with teaching tools that can be spread throughout our schools until you or your children are indoctrinated with the idea that your right to speak, think and act for yourself are somehow polluted by racism. Not one conservative is going to do anything about this because our thought leaders think that complex truth can compete with a good, simple story. It just can't. So here's a story that has the advantage of being both simple and, and true. Every narrative the left tells is actually a tool for acquiring power, power for a small number of elites wielded for the benefit of elites in the name of the poor. The elites cry racism because they want to delegitimize freedom for individuals. They cry climate crisis because they want to delegitimize capitalism, which raises the little guy high. They cry gun control because they want to delegitimize the right of the lone man or woman to defend themselves. It's all because they think power should be exercised by people like them, urban elites, and not by deplorables like you. If there's one thing the advent of Donald Trump has taught us, it is how far the elites of both parties will go to keep their power. How deep they'll hate, how much they'll lie, how they'll even rationalize the use of the blacklists, violence and racism they usually pretend to deplore. And while we sit around and argue over the finer points of conservatism and the purity of our convictions, they are telling their simple stories and trying to silence ours, all in order to keep their power. More on this, you can virtually understand everything they do in these terms, and we'll talk about it. But first, here's a riddle. Your car breaks down, you need to get to the auto parts store to get a part. How do you get there without your car? You don't have to. That's the answer. You go to rockauto.com. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers right on your computer. They've got everything from engine control modules, which I don't even know what they are, and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or for the car you drive daily, get everything you need for a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write claven in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you and so you can practice spelling Claven, which is K-L-A-V-E-N. A-N. Hey, the uh, mailbag is coming up, <laughs> so, and you too, you too will be screaming like that when I solve all your problems just because you subscribe. That's what you get for subscribing for a lousy 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks for the year. I answer your questions, and suddenly your light is a feather, as giddy as a schoolgirl, as dizzy as a drunken man. I can't even remember what you are, but you'll be happy. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, I just, I just want to add to this thing about this stupid, it really is a racist, Clan like stupidity uh, that the New York Times is peddling this idea that everything uh, that happens in America is due to racism. And Jason Riley has a good column uh, in the Wall Street Journal uh, saying the legacy of slavery is regularly invoked. To explain black-white differences today, and everything from home ownership to single parenting, but as far back as the late 1960s, U.S. census data show black immigrants from the Caribbean, which also has a legacy of sla- slavery, far out-earn American blacks, and second-generation black West Indians are earning more than the U.S. average for all groups. So, in other words, it's all about culture. It's really not about uh, slavery. Uh, you know, the blacks blacks had a wonderful rush into home ownership into the middle class, which basically came to a crash crashing in with the Great Society, with LBJ's Great Society, which basically created a welfare system that rewards dependency and dysfunction and illegitimacy and all the other things that the left promotes. I don't even know if they mean to promote it. They promote it. But once they promote it, it's good for them. It means more people become dependent on government. Fewer people exert their own uh, independent rights, their own independent decisions. And that's the way the elites like it. They may not even know they're doing it, but that is what they do. Their narrative is always to convince you that your actions, your sovereignty are polluted and only the judgments of an elite class are viable and just. And anyone who argues for independence, whether it's the independent of your state, you know, for state rights or for your own personal decisions or for the rule of law to take place down at the border, whatever it is, they call it racist because they do not want you to make decisions. And just... All you have to do is open your eyes to this. All you have to do is open your eyes to this and you will see the narrative being controlled for the sake of its simplicity, for its simplicity. I mean You'd have to be a dunce. You'd have to be wearing those conical hats to think that everything in America can be uh, defined and described and explained by one phenomenon, the phenomenon of racism Uh, or or slavery. I mean, obviously, slavery is part of our history and a big deal. It causes, you know, fed into the causes of the Civil War. It's a big deal, but that it causes all these things that were entrenched in British culture uh, for for centuries. Absurd, just absurd. And and remember, slavery was a universal fact. Everyone had slavery. We're the people who said, you know what? This doesn't is not fitting. It's not in keeping with our values. That's why it came to an end. I mean, everybody. Slavery was a universal evil. So here are a couple of things. I'm just going to give you a couple examples of narrative taking place. You know, the way of narrative wrestling taking place and why. Uh, Jim Mattis, the former uh, defense secretary. Great patriot, great general, uh, has brought out a book called something like Call Sign Chaos, I think it's called. Call Sign Chaos, you're right. Uh, He wrote it with Bing West. And he's been talking about, and he's been saying this for a long time, that the problem in our country is this division and this hatred between left and right. And people are not listening to each other. People are not treating each other with respect. And He talks about this and talks about this. And all the left, every single reporter, just wants to talk about how much he hates Donald Trump, which he refuses to talk about. So let's just look at uh, Mattis, what, what his message is. His first, uh, I wanna, the first one about um, divisiveness, uh, cut number four.
1: I would agree that divisiveness inside this country is probably the biggest threat. The lack of respect, the, the lack of listening to one another and accepting that even people who disagree with us may be right once in a while. Do you
2: think this when- president can heal that divisiveness?
1: Well, I think that uh, this is not about one person or one administration. This goes back a while and it's time for at least the majority of us to roll up our sleeves and get to work on what's printed on the coin that every one of us has in our pocket. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. There are many areas where I think we have agreement. We're no longer talking about those. And we need to talk about common ground as much as we need to talk about where we disagree.
0: Now, I could play half a dozen clips of the press pounding him, begging him to attack Donald Trump, attack Donald Trump. And I remember Mattis quit when Trump wanted to pull out of Syria. And Mattis said, this is not a good idea. I don't want to do this. And, and he's made comments that made it clear that he and Donald Trump, as he himself says, they're both big, outspoken characters. They were outspoken with one another. He hasn't uh, shown any disrespect to the president. He's said he's not going to criticize. He's repeatedly said, I am not going to criticize a sitting president. He's the president of all people. But clearly, they had differences. He quit. Here's uh, just one clip uh, of Mika on Morning Joe demanding, demanding that Mattis say what she believes and attack Donald Trump. I mean, this is this is the press. This is the press doing he he is talking about civility, bringing us all together. And all she wants is like attack Trump.
2: There's so much to say Mm -hmm. about the damage being done to our alliances, um, the breakdown of our core values, uh, the respect for the basics of our Constitution. At, At what point, when is it time to stand up and speak to what is happening and you may call it the cheap seats but you have a lot more insight and credibility than anybody who's ever been at this table um, and at what point except maybe is it important to say something <laughs> or become part of the problem because we know what is happening we see what is happening and yet nobody yeah. speaks to it with the with the insight that Perhaps someone you would
1: have like well, you. Well, I don't know how I could have spoken more loudly to where I stand than what I put in my letter of resignation and, and quitting a job when I had not completed it two years in. Mm. Uh, I think, too, this goes back several administrations. This didn't start overnight. This isn't about one man. And the solution is not going to be about one person speaking out. It's going to be about the majority of Americans saying that's enough. We owe better to the next generation.
0: It really is amazing. I mean, I, like I said, I could play a dozen clips. Uh, Christian Amanpour journalist uh, did this to him, played all these clips of Donald Trump, including this clip of Donald Trump saying they're good people on both sides, which is a clip taken out of context to prove that Trump is racist when he's obviously not, when he's obviously not saying a racist thing. Here's a here's a, a, a segment from the book, from Call Sign Chaos. Back when Mattis uh, was the commander of central command of CENTCOM, he was trying to convince Joe Biden to stay in Iraq. Remember the Biden-Obama administration pulled out of Iraq too soon, left too few people behind, left no one behind, and that le- gave rise to the cause of ISIS. Here is what uh, Mattis says of Joe Biden, right? The front runner for the Democrats. I found him an admirable and amiable man, but he was past the point where he was willing to entertain a good idea. He didn't want to hear more. He wanted our forces out of Iraq. Whatever, the, whatever path led their fastest, he favored. He exuded the confidence of a man whose mind was made up, perhaps even indifferent to considering the consequences were he judging the situation incorrectly. He wasn't listening. He wasn't listening. So he quotes uh, Biden saying Maliki, who was obviously the prime minister of Iraq at the time, wants us to stick around because he does not see a future in Iraq otherwise. I'll bet you my vice presidency, right? Mattis uh, says in October 2011, Prime Minister Maliki and President Obama agreed that all U.S. forces would leave at the end of the year. And of course, uh, uh, Maliki, free of American influence, went after Sunni politicians and districts alienating a third of the country. And Mattis writes, Iraq slipped back into escalating violence. It was like watching a car wreck in slow motion. That is the uh, Obama-Biden administration with Biden in control of what was of the Iraq policy. They don't want to ask him about this. Nobody has asked him about this. Nobody has said a word. It's all about Trump. And the thing about Trump, you know, again, you know, I get sick of saying this, but it has to be said. I I don't I don't want to hear anybody worshiping Donald Trump. Donald Trump's a flawed guy. We're all flawed people. He's a big guy. He's got big flaws. He also has done some terrific things. I think he's done a a good job as president. I really do uh, so far. And, um, and I, you know, obviously he says things that I don't agree with and all this, but it's not about him anymore. It's not about him. The danger to the polity, the danger to America does not come from Donald Trump. It comes from people who want this administrative state to replace, as it almost already has, the legislative state. Our legislators don't want to legislate because they have to be responsible for the laws that are made. If they just delegate the power, their power, the power that we delegated to them, if they delegate it to the administrative state, then they can just say, oh, that terrible EPA, that's the fault of the EPA. That is why we I remember yesterday I was talking about Brexit. I was saying that the elite are not going to let Brexit happen. They're not going, they're going to fight tooth and nail to hold on to their power. And then yesterday, after the show, uh, the parliament passed a, a law saying that uh Boris Johnson cannot pull out on October 31st, as he has promised to do, because it gives him such a good negotiating. Uh, position when he goes to the EU. He wants to be able to say, I am going to leave on August 31st if you don't give us a deal. But the parliament doesn't want to do that, essentially scuttling, trying very hard to scuttle Brexit altogether. Because if he can't pull out on October 31st, he can't pull out at all because EU will never let them go. They'll never let them go. They want that power. And they want that power, especially over the English-speaking peoples, because the English-speaking peoples are unique in their commitment to democracy and in their commitment to individual liberty. This is not some... That is true in France and in Spain and all the other countries of the world. It is not. It is true of the English-speaking people. We have a unique commitment to this, and the, the EU wants to snuff that out. Just remember all the things, all the things that happened on the European continent that Britain didn't participate. Participate in Nazism, the Inquisition, uh, the conquests of Napoleon, and the spread of the ideals of the French Revolution—the terrible ideals of the French Revolution—all those things that Britain opted out of, and they want to opt out now. And once again, Germany is in the lead, trying to make sure that you, that Britain stays under their control and the commitment of to democracy of the English-speaking peoples. Is wiped out. That's what it's about. That is what it's about. And you know, they do, they do this. Well, let me get back to this in just a minute. First, let me talk about Lightstream. I know I do this, I'm sure you do it. You use your credit card without thinking that it's money. You use that credit card, you just hand pay-it's a it's magic, right? They give you coffee, they give you books, it's it's incredible. Everybody's just so generous. They love the look of that credit card, and then the bill comes due. And if you don't pay it on time, the interest rates are unbelievable. Instead, you can go to LightStream. You can go to LightStream and get a debt consolidation loan. Uh, you can get a credit card consolidation loan at LightStream with a rate as low as 5.95% APR if you use autopay. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can get it as quickly as that day. On a credit card, if you don't pay, the rate can be over 19% APR, which will destroy you in a big. Curry. Just for my listeners, you can apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com Andrew. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com Andrew. This is subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers uh, are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com Andrew for more information. <coughs> you know, There was this shooting, obviously, in West Texas. A guy, another one of these nuts, uh, went out and shot a bunch of people. He was barred from buying firearms by one of these alert laws, right? A judge had ruled him mentally unfit, but he got around that and he bought the firearms anyway. So these laws do not stop people who are dedicated to killing people, they don't do anything. Seizing guns does nothing. It does nothing. And and by, by the way, it doesn't matter what the polls say. Our rights, the Bill of Rights is about what transcends democracy. The Bill of Rights is about what transcends democracy. You can't vote away your God-given rights. It doesn't matter whether 80% of the people want to take your rights away. The Bill of Rights protects your rights from democracy, okay? That is is what it's there for. Now, it won't stand. You can't build a wall of paper against the will of the people. If the will of the people is to destroy our system of government, they will destroy it whether there's a constitution or not. But that's what it's there for. And if our press were educated, if our press weren't all one-sided, they would not be quoting polls about guns. But listen to Joe Biden. Don't be Joe Biden. Listen to him. Take. This gun situation and this horrible storm that has hit the Bahamas and may hit Florida. Dorian, it has virtually wiped out part of the Bahamas. It's absolutely tragic to see the pictures of what's taken place. But listen to him just dis- distill it into a narrative. Why? Power. Listen to Joe Biden do what the left does.
3: Look, it's about time the president got out of the state of denial on two really critical things. And they're both, they both came to a head this weekend. One is climate change. It is an existential threat. This guy can no longer deny the science. I mean, if we could call, well, if there were a parliamentary system, we call for elections tomorrow, not because we're in good or bad shape, but because we can't wait another 18 months to, for something to happen in terms of climate. What's he need? Does he need, the, you know, Gabriel to come down and say, "Hey, this is a real problem." I mean, it's gigantic. It's the largest storm in the land, anyway. And the second one is, is on dealing with uh, firearms. It is irrational, with all due respect to the governor of Texas, irrational what they're doing. On the very day, you see a mass shooting, I guess the number is now, I was on a plane the last two and a half hours, they got up to five killed. Um, and we're talking about loosening access to uh, have guns, be able to take them into places of worship, store them in school. I mean, it's just absolutely irrational. It's totally irrational. And it's all about special interest. And it has to stop. It has to stop. The idea that we don't have elimination of assault type weapons, magazines that can hold multiple bullets in them, is absolutely mindless.
0: (laughs) He's selling irrational. magazine. He wants to ban magazines that have multiple bullets in them. That's what a magazine is. A magazine is something that holds multiple bullets. You know, he's he's pleading for irrationality. You know, Seven people were killed in Chicago the same weekend. Seven people were shot in Chicago the same weekend. A problem that could be solved by allowing police to go back to the kind of policing they were doing, the stop-and-search policing, the uh, Comstat. um statistic-based policing, the no-tolerance, zero-tolerance policing that they were doing before. They could lower gun deaths like that. I mean, this is a point that Heather McDonald has been making for a long, long time. They could lower gun killings like that, but they don't do it because that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about power. If you don't have guns, if the populace doesn't have guns, the government can do whatever they want without fear. And people keep saying, you know, well, you couldn't fight the government with guns. Afghanistan, they do it in Afghanistan. You can fight the government with the guns that you get. And and that's why these assault weapons, what they call assault weapons, that's why these powerful weapons are important. People should be allowed to defend themselves. They should have that capacity, even though, God forbid, they should ever have to use it. God forbid our government should get so oppressive they have to use it, but just in case, it makes the government think twice. And as for the climate change, this stuff is getting absurd. You know, there's this girl, uh, I'm not going to play this, Uh, Greta uh, Thunberg, her name is, she's 16 years old, she's autistic. She's obviously got some, as she or herself has said she's got some sort of uh, mental deficits, and they've been using her she, uh, to, uh, as a climate activist. And Graebian, who puts out great montages, they put out a montage that I'm, I just can't i can't bring myself to play it. It's a fair montage. It's not Grabian's fault. It's the press lauding the 16-year-old girl as the voice of the earth. She's the voice of the climate. She's going to save us all. And then it's cutting away to this poor girl trying to out language because she's got a mental deficit. She's not, she doesn't speak well. And she's obviously being used. She's obviously being used. And the reason I can't play it is I just want to make fun of the girl. She's a child. She's 16 years old. She shouldn't be on TV at all. It shouldn't be that they use children to put forward their narrative. They don't understand that a child has less authority, less moral authority, less wisdom than adults, because in their world, that's not true. That's not true. In Canada, they have a, they have a thing uh, going on. I assume it's partly comical. I suppose it's partly satirical, but they want to let eight-year-olds vote because eight-year-olds say that the climate is important. Hey, play this. Have we got this? Have we got this thing about the eight to go from 18 to eight? Uh, did I put that in there? Yeah. Play, play this. This is an ad to lower the voting age in Canada to eight because eight-year-olds care about climate change.
2: Climate change. Excuse
0: me, do you guys have a moment to talk about climate change?
2: So this is it? HQ, or headquarters for those who don't know. Every part of the machine is integral. Can't save the world without coffee. And naps. We polled kids across Canada and asked them to rank election issues in order of priority. 74% writes climate change as the issue most important to them. Climate scientists are now saying we only have 12 years left to act if we want to avoid catastrophic damage. That's why we're lobbying the federal government to lower the voting age from 18 to
1: 8. Let us kids vote!
0: Unbelievable, unbelievable. They don't understand that this is an argument against climate change. If eight-year-olds think this is the most important uh, problem we're facing, Probably we should ask adults because only one percent, I believe it is, of adults think this is the most important problem we're facing because adults are smarter than children. they have seen more. They're wiser. They know a lot more. But this is, you know, this is the narrative. They'll, they will do anything to push the narrative and they will silence anybody to push the narrative. I opened this up uh, by talking about Deborah Messing and Eric McCormick, the um the stars of Will and Grace and Will and Grace is, uh, you know, they, people say, oh yes, this really did change ideas about gay people and make people more tolerant, uh, to gay people. Maybe, maybe that's true. I don't know. It can't be proved obviously, but they come out and they say there was a, there's a fundraiser for Donald Trump in Beverly Hills and Eric McCormick and Deborah Messing came out and said, to the Hollywood reporter, which reported on it, said, we want to know the names of people there so we know who we don't want to work with. And essentially, it's a blacklist. And they say it's not a blacklist. Uh, Eric McCormick put out a thing saying, I want to be clear about my social media post, uh, which has been misinterpreted in a very s- upsetting way. I absolutely do not support blacklists or discrimination of any kind, as anyone who knows me would attest. I'd simply like to understand where Trump's major donations are coming from. That's not what he said. That's not what oh, either of them said. They said, we want to not work with these people as if Hollywood needs uh, more leftists and fewer right wingers. Whoopi Goldberg, of all people on The View, really went off on him about this, and she was absolutely right.
2: Last time people did this, yeah. people ended up killing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a good idea, mm-hmm. okay? Your, your idea idea of who you don't want to work with is your personal business. Do not encourage people to print out lists because the next list that comes out, your name will be on and then people will be coming after you. No one, you, we, nobody. We had something called the blacklist and a lot of really good people were accused of stuff. Nobody cared whether it was true or not. They all they were accused and they lost their right to work. You don't have the right in this country. People can vote for who they want to. That is one of the great rights of this country. You don't have to like it. But you we don't we don't go after people because we don't like who they voted for. We don't go after them that way. We can talk about issues and stuff, but we don't print out lists.
0: it's amazing to hear her say this. To come to you know to see somebody in Hollywood come to her senses about this because there is a blacklist. I know there's a blacklist in Hollywood. It doesn't work like a list. It's not like in the old days with the communists. It's it's more that like you know somewhere along the line to sell something in Hollywood it's a million to one chance. Every time you do it, you have broken the odds. You have beaten the odds, and so many people have to sign off on it that you only have to hit one who is intolerant, like McCormick and Messing. To have that project fall apart. So there is a there's essentially a tacit blacklist in Hollywood. But but this is taking it one more step. And it's acknowledging it, making more than tacit. I have to just one more story because this is all about controlling the narrative to get power. There's a purpose to doing it. The purpose is doing it to get power. It doesn't take a conspiracy. They only have to think they're right. They only have to be surrounded by people who agree with them to believe that the fantasy is true. Bloomberg reporter, this is what I'm quoting from the Federalist, Bloomberg reporter Ben Penn uh, disingenuously portrayed a Facebook post from 2016 by Trump Labor Department appointee Leif Olson as anti Semitic. Leif Olson was making jokes. Against anti-Semitism, he was attacking anti-Semites. I've read the, the uh, post. I read the Facebook post. There's no doubt about it. He is openly j- making jokes, like I make jokes when the show begins, when I make my satires. If you wanted to take those and pretend that I was serious, if I didn't, if I had stupid employers and they went, you know, and they fluttered and threw their aprons over their faces and said, "Oh, we have to get rid of Clavin because he says all these silly things about people." That's what happened to this guy. This guy was uh, fired from the Labor Department. He was forced to resign from the Labor Department because Ben Penn of Bloomberg distorted and dishonestly what he said. And Bloomberg, to their shame, is defending this story. It is openly, obviously untrue. And why the Labor Department didn't stand up. See, this is the problem. It's not these, it's not these leftist hacks doing this to people. It's the employers who don't stand up and say, hey, you know what? Buzz off. Buzz off, Bloomberg. Buzz off, Ben Penn. That's the problem. That is the problem. And Penn, when he was attacked, he was attacked from the left and the right to, to the, give them credit. Uh, Penn puts out a tweet saying lost in all of this, you can almost hear the superior lost in all of this, is that Olson, the man who lost his job, was part of a team of political appointees tasked with the heavy lift of drafting wage hour regulations that are high priorities for Trump White House business community. They're now down one advisor. In other words, It was a political hit. He disagreed with this guy, so he cost him his job by scouring Facebook for an old post, distorting it, lying about it, and getting the guy fired. And Bloomberg is standing behind that. Unbelievable. But this is what, see, this is what the anti-Trumpers don't get. It's so much not about Trump. It's so much not about Trump. It's about this narrative. It is about this fight for the narrative. And Trump is good at fighting back against the narrative. This is one of his strengths. This is one of his positive things. This is one of the things that I see in him that I think is why he was elected. Because this narrative is so powerful. The control of it is so powerful. It's being sold to your children. It's being sold on television. It's being sold on Netflix. It's being sold in, in the movie theaters. It's being sold in the academies. And it is a story of taking, keeping power in the hands of urban elites and away from the individual and away from individual localities. That's what it's all about. That's why Trump ultimately is not the point at all. Mailbag, coming up, i got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. And then next week, you can have all your problems solved. Mailbag. When she finally screams about the actual mailbag, it's always so satisfying. From Jay, hello, Mr. Clavin. Let me begin by saying that I appreciate all the content of The Daily Wire. I've been told that I'm having a bit of a midlife crisis. I've been a single mom for 15 of my son's 17 years, and several years back, I lost the option for having any more of my own children. Now that we're looking forward to him moving on and forward into adult life, I'm not sure what purpose is left for my life. I know he'll need me to some diminishing extent going forward. And as much as I knew my purpose was to raise him to be the best Christian man I could, I'm left adrift. As an unmarried 39-year-old woman who can't have kids, how do I find my next step? Thanks for the guaranteed correctness of your response. Well, first of all, Jay, uh, let me me say this. Even though your situation has specific points about it, uh, you're unmarried, you can't have children, What you're going through is what every mom goes through when their kids leave. The empty nest syndrome is what every mom goes through. And it's a real thing. So, you know, you can allow yourself to experience some mourning. You can allow yourself to experience some sadness, even, you know, even some uh, depression that that this part of your life, which is. It's not just the most important thing you'll ever do. It's the most important thing anyone ever does. To be the mother of a child, to raise that child, is the most important thing anyone ever does. So this portion of your life is over, and that's sad. I mean, every life is sad. Life is always about letting go. It's always about learning to let go. Love is about learning to let go. The price of love is grief. We all do it. We all experience it. It's, it's, just, it's just part of life. It's just something we have to do. What you don't want to do is you don't want to wallow in this, right? You want to l- let it go experience the pain, experience the sadness, and then move on. Like you say, you wanna find a new thing. It doesn't have to be about a relationship. It doesn't have to be, obviously, about a child. It's now about other talents that you have and other things that you can bring uh, to bear to help people and, and do things. There's lots and lots of satisfying things that you can do, up ahead. And who knows, maybe in that uh, life, you'll also find relationships. You shouldn't be afraid to date. You shouldn't be afraid to find a, a new guy to go out with. Uh, 39 is not the end of the line, believe me. Uh, and, and you know, so you, there's a life ahead of you and new things to come. And your son is still going to need you and want you and be your pal uh, in in the coming years. So the thing is, what I guess I'm saying to you is, yes, you know, all these things you're feeling are absolutely legitimate. Uh, There is a grief involved. Life has always got an element of grief to it. It's always got an element of sadness. But don't let that stop you. Don't let it stop you from going on to the next move. Uh, I don't know what your financial situation is. Maybe you have to work. If you have to work, find a job that you're going to enjoy. If you don't have to work, you you can either work because you choose to or do volunteer work uh, or contribute that way but just don't let the grief weigh you down understand that this is part of life this is this is you know the idea that we're always happy all the time is something that takes place on Facebook, not in real life. In real life, we are always saying goodbye to something. And when moms especially, but also dads, uh, when they face the empty nest, they go through a period where they say, gee, you know, that that really has changed everything. And it feels like the meaning is gone, but the meaning is not gone. There's more meaning up ahead. Uh, and and just go out and find it. Don't let this don't let this stop you, but don't feel that you shouldn't experience it and feel it as well. Uh From Patrick, Dear God Emperor of the Daily Wire, Drew Clavin, Last week, Kirkwood Community, I'm just a general God Emperor. Only Jeremy is the God King of the Daily Wire. I'm the God King of the universe, of the multiverse. Uh, Not not that God King, a God King. Uh, Last week, Kirkwood Community College fired an English professor for openly supporting Antifa. Reason Magazine covered the story in an article on Monday, but treated it as a violation of the professor's freedom of speech, despite him calling for violence on his social media pages. Do you think, Professor, Should be allowed to openly support terrorist organizations like Antifa. I myself had a professor that taught an Israeli Palestine course who it turned out had praised PLO terrorists. So while I'm a free speech advocate and want terrible ideas out in the open, I also don't think praising terrorist groups, especially while being an educator, should be considered free speech. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I think the bigger problem, the larger problem, is that there should be. To, to steal a word from the left, there should be diverse speech. I think if, there's, uh, if you're in a college where everybody supports the PLO uh, instead of some people who support Israel and people having different ideas, uh, that's the, that's a wor- much worse problem. I would much rather have people's free speech unimpeded as long as it's diverse speech. Really what's happening is people are being silenced before they ever get to the university by hiring groups that will not hire right-wing Uh, speakers or let white-wing speakers come to speak, and and they won't hire right-wing teachers and let them teach. Uh, Beyond this, why you should know a professor's personal opinions, I have no idea. Why professors are teaching their opinions instead of teaching their subject is something that I can't understand. If you are teaching, for instance, the modern history of the Middle East, you can teach it from both sides. There's nothing to stop you from teaching both the point of view of the Palestinians and the point of view of the Israelis. I don't even care if you say I happen to be more sympathetic to the Palestinians as long as you can put forward the uh, ideas from both sides. The problem that we have is the idea of a meta profession has collapsed. Professors are in a meta profession. They should be teaching things above and beyond their own personal beliefs. I I don't have a problem with people saying supporting groups that I disapprove of, including Antifa, which is a fascist organization, including the PLO also a fascist organization. I don't have a problem that some professors support those things and and say so openly. I think their free speech should be unimpeded. My problem is when people are silenced before they're even hired so that there's only one side speaking. Uh, That's that's the way I feel about it. Uh, From Jaden J-A-D-O-N. Uh, Greetings, Lord Clavin. What do you think about long-term traveling? I just graduated with an engineering degree and I'm saving up money doing various random jobs this summer. I have a huge travel bug and will hit the road in my modified camper minivan for a while, maybe a year or two. I'll be volunteering in various places uh, in exchange for room and board. I'm not a traditional career oriented person. Could honestly be happy living in a van, traveling all over the place. I have an insatiable curiosity for the world and faith in God that he may make something out of that. Um, What's, what's the question here? Uh, do you have any words of advice or wisdom or warning? Uh, no, hit the road. I mean, have a good time. You know, I think, uh, you know, after two, remember that your engineering, was it engineering degree? Yes, your engineering degree will become obsolete at some point. Uh, you know, there it may be that in a year or two years, you think that maybe it's time to settle down uh, and live a more rich and deep life instead of, you know, to, to travel. I did this. I did this. I went out, you know, I was a little crazy, but I went and was a hobo uh, for years essentially. And I never wanted to settle down. I never wanted to stop. But ultimately, I felt, I felt that a life uh, of depth was more important than a life of uh, breath, of, of traveling all over the place. I wanted to have a life that, that mattered. I have done a lot of traveling. I've moved a lot. I love traveling. I have a terrible case of wanderlust in my youth. It was uh, awful. But go ahead and do it. Go, go ahead and do it. Have a good time. Be careful. Take care of yourself. And, uh, you know, in a year or whenever you feel it's right, reassess and ask yourself if it's time to live differently or to find a, a, a job that will help you uh, in your wanderlust. But, but no, have a good time. I don't see why you should be like everybody else if you're different. Um, From Ricardo to the great Clavin, my Democratic uncle was discussing the Clinton economy with me and telling me how good it was. He then said the Reagan economy was terrible. What is the best way to rebut this assertion? Get the facts. It's just untrue. It is just untrue. Um, you know, Reagan had, I think it took Reagan about two years for his tax cuts to kick in and jumpstart the economy. The economy was good for that for 25 years, including the Clinton economy. The Clinton economy was the Reagan economy. The Clinton, Reagan turned this economy around. You have to look at the Carter economy to see how bad it was. Uh, you know you really go look at the movie Miracle about the hockey team which has at least shows you how bad things were during the Carter economy the Carter economy was an absolute disaster Reagan was elected everybody said oh my gosh he's doing these terrible just like with Trump it was exactly like with Trump uh he cut taxes in a in a smart way it jump- started the economy it took about two years I think and then the economy took off it was never bad after that until the crash during the uh george bush administration that came afterwards there was a little dip in the economy and the press hammered that and clinton said we've got to run on the economy stupid but really we've had we had a strong economy for 25 years and people call that a bubble and part of it was due to the tech boom which caused the bubble uh which you know fed into that but of course that was partly deregulation and freedom of people to create things but still the tech boom caused that and people call it a bubble but if a bubble lasts for 25 years that's half of a working life. You know, that's a long time. That is, uh, that's not really a bubble. That's almost a lifetime. So a capitalist economy is going to have its crashes. It is is going to have its backfires, but look at the facts. The the Reagan economy was great. And the Clinton economy was the Reagan economy with the added help of uh, the tech boom. Um, from Brittany, um, This is a bit of a girl question, but I'd really appreciate your advice. My IUD has migrated and my doctor says it has to come out. Uh, she says, I need a specialist, and she has referred me to Marie Stopes. As someone who is very anti-abortion, I feel really uncomfortable giving my money to such a horrible abortion business. Do you have any insights into whether it is wrong to go there for non-abortion services? I'm very worried about having this IUD floating around, and I'm desperate to get it out as soon as possible. I don't feel I have the time to find a pro-life specialist, and in my city, I highly doubt there would be any. Yeah, look, take care of your health first. This is the first thing. That you're right. You should get this thing taken out. There's not. There's nothing wrong with calling your doctor and saying that, you know, I have uh, moral issues with Marie Stopes. Do you have anybody else I can go to? Uh, that's one phone call. I don't see why you wouldn't make that phone call if it's important to you. But most important is taking care of your health. Uh, you know, you, you, can't, you can't stand on your principles if you're dead and you can't stand on your principles if you get some terrible infection. Get this thing out and get it done. And, uh, you know, this is not this is not the sometimes sometimes you just can't stand on principles in a realistic way. This might be one of those times, but I don't see why you wouldn't make a phone call and ask if there's anybody else who can do this if you really have objections to Marie Stopes that go beyond this. But most importantly, get this done, get it done quickly. That's the thing you should be thinking about. Um, From Craig, um, Mr. Clavin, I don't think I've heard anyone discuss this, but if Trump wins in 2020, what kind of Trump will we get? Meaning since he knows he doesn't have to win another election, will he take the cuffs off and hold nothing back? Or will he have the same rhetoric after the election as he does now? I have to believe the Trump derangement will be off the charts as well as his Twitter ruthlessness. Um, yeah, th- I mean, it's that's a very hard question to answer because there's so many variables. We don't know what will happen to Congress. Uh, we don't know what, you know, whether he'll get uh, majorities back in both houses. We don't know what kind of majority. Um, you know, it's funny uh, when after Trump's election, uh, I remember having this conversation with Ben Uh, We were down in Dallas at the place where Kennedy was shot, and he said, "What's your best scenario for Donald Trump?" And I laid out what I thought the best steps were. uh, And every single thing has happened uh, that I said would be my best scenario for Donald Trump, which was not all roses. It was not all great, but it was basically saying he's going to cut taxes, the economy is going to boom. Then he's going to do some stuff that'll drive us crazy, like infrastructure. I think that infrastructure thing would be a big thing that he would go forward with if he won again. I do think um, that he tends to go where he can go. He. tends to go where he can move. So one of the things that's been really helpful to us on the right is that uh, the evangelicals and the right wingers have been friendly to him and the left has been absolutely resistant to him. And that means he moved to the right because there was nowhere to go on his left. And that was good for us. But I think if they gave him any room on his left, there are things he would do uh, on the left. But look, I would like to see him um, build his wall. I'd like to see him get some relief uh, in the in the asylum laws that would help us on the border more importantly i'd like to see him come up with a good free market plan for healthcare because i think when you know the government does healthcare it looks like the va where i think a free market plan for healthcare that takes the uh that takes the chains the shackles off insurance companies that do- allows people to buy insurance, young people to buy insurance that's only for catastrophes, that doesn't force young people to pay for old people, all those things would be good. I'd love to see him do entitlement reform. He has promised not to do that, so I'm not hopeful about it. But it really depends. Trump is a guy who will go where he can. He'll go, you know, he's a he's like a linebacker. He goes where the the uh, running back, he goes where the daylight is. And so I think that if he wins and gets a very big majority uh, for Republicans, he'll do re- Republican stuff. If he's stuck like this, he'll continue to do what he's been been doing which is executive action and foreign policy and foreign trade. He will continue uh, this trade war with China. I think he's very committed to getting some kind of deal with China and it will give him extra strength if he has won the election. China is betting on him losing. uh, And I think it will be a good thing. You know, I think it's a good thing for him to win. I know it's it's short-term bad. I know it's short-term hurting the economy, but I think it would be a good thing for him to get a new, uh, kind of trade with China. And I think that they are depending on him losing the election. Uh, and that's why they're holding out. But I think if that's one thing that he would go forward with, whether he had, uh, a majority in Congress or not, I think he would go forward trying to rewrite write that because I think it's important to him. I think he understands it. And I think he knows what he wants. Very hard to say. It's a very hard question to answer because there are just too many variables. I have to stop there, but we will do this again next week. And aren't we do, are we doing a backstage tonight? Yeah, we don't even have a read for that, but we have a backstage tonight. So we'll answer more of your questions there if you're a subscriber, but you got to subscribe. Why? Because you have money. We want your money. I'm Andrew Klavan. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I'll see you on The Backstage Show later on today, and I'll see you again tomorrow. Jonathan Hay, and our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2019.
2: If you prefer facts over feelings, if you aren't offended by the brutal truth, If you can still laugh at the nuttiness filling our national news cycle, well, tune on in to The Ben Shapiro Show, where you'll get a whole lot of that and much more. We'll see you there.